What another joyous opportunity we have to be able to come together once again today on the first day of the week to worship God in spirit and in truth and knowing that we have done that and a part of, as a part of his New Testament will for us. Tonight we'll give uh, our, our attention to another lesson, uh, part two of Lessons from the Crucifixion. And as we come to this slide of introduction, last month we cast our attention to the Lord's Supper and also we examined our prayer life and we examined each of those and how we as Christians apply those to our lives. Tonight we will bring our attention to the arrest and the trial of Jesus as we continue our study. The setting tonight will take place where we picked off uh, there in Matthew chapter 26 and it'll start at the garden. We'll look at the description of Jesus and his trial and the chief priest before the chief priest and then we'll look at Peter and Judas's roles as they what they played. We'll look at Herod's role and we'll end the lesson tonight at looking at Pilate's role in the trial of our Lord. And also tonight we will also use these lessons and these teachings to the uh, learn from Jesus to apply those to our lives as we serve the master. So with those things in mind, let's come to our description of Matthew chapter 26. I'd invite you to be turning there. Matthew chapter 26. We'll begin reading verses 46 through 56 and look at that description and go through it piece by piece and in chronological order tonight. I'll begin reading in verse 46. Jesus speaking says, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with, with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold fast him. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up, thy, put up again thy sword unto its place, unto his place. For all, all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall present, presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the, scripture, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now this was the opening scene of Jesus' arrest. Again, he had been in the garden. We noted in our last lesson last month that those prayers that he uttered. And now Judas, 
the one that betrayed him, come with the twelve, or one of the twelve, come with the great multitude of the chief priests there in verse 47. And he had gave them a sign of what he would do. He would betray Jesus with a kiss in verse 49. Now when we consider Judas, Judas started out his life as an apostle. We remember that description when Jesus chose those 12 apostles early on in his ministry. But later on, Judas... It was foretold that he would betray Jesus. Here was one that had been with him, watched him, observed him, learned many things from him, seen him do many miracles, and now he betrayed him. He turned his attention to the money that the chief priest had offered him. And then we look at how Jesus responds to to that multitude In verse 50, friend, wherefore art thou come? We notice through the entirety of the arrest and the trial and even taking all the way to the cross, Jesus' demeanor and his meekness that he had during all these events. And we'll keep that in mind as we go through the lesson tonight and Ask, us, ask ourselves if we apply those same concepts to our lives as Christians. How do we handle situations that we're faced with? Continuing on, we see that Jesus did not get upset in any way when Peter there in the next set of events took the sword and struck the high, off the, uh, the high priest's servant We know his name was Malchus, and we also know from John 18.10 that that was Peter, the one that done that. But it's not mentioned here in Matthew's account, but also in John 18.10, we're told that Jesus healed the ear of of Malchus, performed one one of his last miracles he would ever perform here on the earth. We then can note, continuing on in verses 53 and following, the power that Jesus had. Peter, in fear, likely cut off the ear of Malchus. Peter and the twelve had often struggled with the concept that Jesus' kingdom would be physical that he promised to build. But one more time, all these things had to be done so that salvation could be brought to the human family and Jesus very calmly without getting upset in any way tells tells Peter in verse 53 thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall give me more than 12 legions of angels when we consider that description the 12 legions of angels that would have been more than 72,000 angels that would have came to deliver Jesus from this moment He would have been taken back to heaven and we would have had no hope of salvation if that would have been the case. And we also can appreciate that Jesus knew 
that he was born for these moments. So that he said more than on one occasion that the scriptures might be fulfilled. It was read to us in our lesson text, that text from Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, gives us that very description. And as we consider these prophecies that were fulfilled on this monumental occasion, it seems to me that most of the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled during Jesus' crucifixion and the entirety of it. Time and time again we see verse that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That brings us to the idea that considering those prophecies, history written before its time, when, those, when God through those Old Testament writers foretold what, what would happen, it seems to me that that concept would have little to no meaning to the mind and idea of an atheist because we can appreciate that if a common individual living in that time, they wouldn't have known what was going to happen centuries down the road. We, can't eat, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we then can see God's power through those inspired individuals. And continuing on, Jesus made, made a description to that multitude. Some of the, it appears that the description of the text, Jesus knew some of the, those individuals. He says in verse 55, Are ye come out as against me a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. At one time, these individuals had took a liking to Jesus. They enjoyed listening to his teachings. And he says here, you, laid no, you, you made no attempt to lay no hold on me on that occasion, but under the pressure of the chief priest and of those individuals that sought after his death, they become persuaded to arrest him and to bring him to trial. They were skeptical, skeptical of him. And one more time in verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now Jesus had already told them in this very chapter that tonight that he would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered. And we then see many of them say they would never leave him. But they did out of fear of their own safety. Again, they probably had a mindset that this would never happen to Jesus. He would have the power to overtake them. But we then see himself being humble as he was, allowed them to bind him as a criminal, and lead him away to the chief priest. And that brings us to our next slide. Let's continue reading, starting in verse 57. We'll read through 57 through verse 68, please. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. 
Now the chief priest and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the least came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that, ye, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high, then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard this, blasphemy. What thank ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they spat in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with their palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he? Who is he that smote thee? So we then see this in this next description, Going back to verse 57, they lead him away to the high priest's house and they begin gathering false witnesses, but those false witnesses couldn't, could not make up a legitimate, a legitimate reason to put him to death. It seems to me, it seems rather ironic to me because in Deuteronomy chapter 19 God delivers his punishment for those who would gather a false witness against a person and then going down to verse 61 he says this fellow said I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days again they thought this was a literal temple a physical temple we know that's not the case because Jesus was describing his own body here on this occasion. And then the high priest arose and asked Jesus a question. If he was truly the son of God. And of course Jesus answered and said, he gave his description in verse 64 and said, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you hereafter, shall ye see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He affirmed that he was the Son of God. And we also notice again, verse 63, but Jesus held his peace during all this. He knew the injustice that was taking place, but he didn't say a word because he knew ultimately he had to go to the cross. He knew these things were going to take place and they were going to play out. He knew that they had already previously pre-planned pre this. Continuing on, when Jesus made that statement, the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further have we need, have need, need have we of witnesses? Behold, how ye have heard this blasphemy. So the charge is now blasphemy is given in verse 65 and then the mocking 
of our Savior begins. They spat in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. And they very aggressively said to him, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? They begin making fun of his messiahship and his abilities he had to prophesy. But again, verse 63, but Jesus held his peace during all this. Again, let's keep that in mind as we understand and are living our Christian life that at times we're going to be faced with persecution from others that, quite frankly, don't like us. Maybe because we stand up for what's right. We don't fit into the cliques that many join on the workplace or at school or on a college campus. But we then have to be like Jesus. We have to keep our peace. And continuing on, in verses 69 through 75, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out unto the porch, another maid saw him and said unto, him, and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And began he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the, the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Once again, coming to Peter, Previously, he'd fought for him in what he thought was the right way. He cut off the chief priest's servant's ear. And now, maybe just a couple hours later, he denied even knowing him. But we notice something very important in verse 75 that should be true for all of us. He went out and wept bitterly. May I say, when we're faced with sin or we realize we've sinned because we all do. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. May we not allow that to be a continuing thing in our lives and becoming a habitual, ongoing thing. We have to take an appropriate response to sin. Approaching God in prayer, if we're a Christian, and He's promised to forgive us if we repent, if we repent properly, Verses that encourage us to do that, James 5.16, also Titus chapter 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are given a great task, my friend, to be able to carry those things out. And God knows we're not going to do it perfect, but we should always strive to do that every day of our lives. Be, set the proper example to others. 
and not let sin continue to grow, but to repent of that appropriately and not never allow our heart to become so hardened that it becomes virtually impossible to do that, to repent properly. Tragically, we see that in the lives of so many. As one time, they started out living a Christian life that is faithful and true, but then just like Peter, they deny it. They deny our Lord with how they live, the actions they engage in, the places they go. We have to be rooted and grounded in love as we're commanded. Coming to the next chapter, now that the sentence had been given, blasphemy, they had stuck that charge on Jesus. He was now worthy of death. And they then led him to a pilot, as we're going to see. I'll begin reading in verses 1 through 12. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. The innocent blood. And they said, what is, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for, for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought, brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed him. And Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Going back to verses 1 and following, we then see the chief priests carrying him Carrying, carrying Jesus away to Pilate. You see, they could not put anybody to death. That was not lawful for them to do, and that, that, was carried, that had, must, had to be carried out by that Roman governing official. And then in, starting in verse 3, we then see Judas come back onto the scene. It appears that he had his sin had led him to wanted to repent of that. And so he went, he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priest, and he admitted to sinning in verse 4 that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Maybe perhaps at the time Judas thought that Jesus would never succumb to these things. He would be powerful enough to overcome them. But when he realized that he didn't do that, he did right the opposite he became sorry for what he had done. 
And we ultimately know what he went out and hanged himself. And in Acts chapter 1, the, a rather gruesome description is given of what happened to Judas when he did hang himself. Verse 18 tells us that his guts fell out. It was a gruesome death that he suffered. But he ultimately had that choice. And as these led up to this moment in his life and the years and the months following, he had been declared a thief in, in previous chapters. He had allowed Satan to enter his life. And John 6, verse 7, I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 70 affirms that, that Jesus said that he was as an act of the devil. He was the devil in that he had come to the temptation that the devil put before him. And ultimately, the description there in Acts chapter 1 gives us that Judas, when he had done this, this was something that could not be forgiven. Because Jesus had said in the previous chapter that it had been better for this, this man never have been born. Sadly, he died lost, and sadly, he chose in the last days of his life to follow the devil. May I say that teaches us a very strong principle once again of overcoming the devil. God's promised us a way of escape if we look for it hard enough, and if we pray, pray and ask for, for that help from God, he will, over, he will allow us to overcome that sin and the temptation. Moving on to verse, going back to verse 11, we then see the scene transition back to Jesus and Pilate. When, G, when Pilate asked Jesus, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest it. No doubt Pilate had heard many things about Jesus. Jesus had gained notable popularity with his teaching ministry throughout that area. Many people, he had gathered his, his followers, his disciples. Many people enjoyed, enjoyed listening to his teaching. They knew he was the Son of God by the miracles they had performed. But Pilate asked him this, Art thou king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Thou sayest it. And then he, he was accursed of the chief priests and elders, verse 12, and answered nothing. In verse 13, And said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, and he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate knew very well the motive behind the chief priest. He knew he was. He knew Jesus was in, uh, was innocent. He said on more than one occasion, "I find no fault in this man." But what was more? Astonishing to Pilate was that Jesus, what he thought, he didn't take up for himself. He marveled because he, with his calmness and with his demeanor, 
because Jesus ultimately knew he had to go to Calvary for the human family. And we'll pick back up our reading there in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 15. Verse 15 through 25. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had, call, they had then a noble prisoner, prisoner called Barabbas. Then they were, therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto him, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto, him, unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could, not, he could prevail nothing, but, that a, but rather a tumult was, made, tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. Again, we've noticed that Pilate found no fault in Jesus. And it was that time, that, that, that Passover feast during this time of the year that they had this unique custom. And Pilate thought he would see a way to release Jesus. He brought out a prisoner that had been an insurrectionist, we're told on another occasion. He was a murderer. He was also a thief, as more than one of the gospel accounts records for us. And Pilate brought the two before the multitude, and they ultimately asked for Barabbas. Pilate's plan had not worked out the way he thought it should. And in verse 19 of that chapter, we're told that his wife had a dream about the events of this occasion that said, have nothing to do with, ju with this just man. But the chief priest and the elders ultimately had their ways about persuading the multitude to seek for the release of Barabbas and to crucify Jesus. And ultimately, that's what happened. And one could probably notice the chief priests, their demeanor on this occasion, that they, they knew they were about to get what they wanted. This guy has, their attitude being, this guy has been a trouble for us for three years with his preaching and his teaching. 
taking all the attention away from us and turning it upon himself, and they didn't want that. And ultimately, they sought to destroy his life. But then again, Pilate going on, still thinking Jesus was innocent. He still found no fault in him. But Pilate saw that he could not prevail nothing in verse 24. He took a basin of water and washed his hands of the matter. And then he turned Jesus over to be crucified to the mob. Now we're going to notice this in future lessons, in our next, le next lessons to come. But he had already been scourged, as the gospel according to John tells us by this occasion. But they, we then can continue to notice Jesus' demeanor and his calmness. And again, that has a great lesson for you and I still through these moments of this trial. I suppose it would have been easy for Jesus to call these things into question. Because you may notice the chief priests never on this occasion said to Pilate what they'd found him guilty of. They mentioned blaspheme that it, in, the, in the chief priest trial, but they never did mention that to Pilate here on this occasion. <coughs> Again, the injustice of this trial was rather sickening, as we can see going back and looking at it. But Jesus, again, knew very well, and again, not saying a word. And as we come and apply that to our lives as Christians, may I ask, we, are, we deal with many things through our lives, no doubt, as Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, Peter giving us this description here, beginning in verse 21 of 1 Peter. For even hereunto we ye were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, who, who then... Who, when he was revealed, revealed not again when he suffered. He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Peter's description here, urging those of the first century to be like Jesus in these situations. No guile was found in his mouth, and that should be true of us today. And it's no doubt that we have our enemies. We may not have them as Jesus did to the point of death. But may I ask, how do we deal with them? When we consider the crucifixion, I can't think of another notable scene of events of an Old Testament or a New Testament example that could teach us to take from Jesus' demeanor on how to overcome those those trials and those persecutions that were, that were faced with. 
were commanded, Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 5 to pray for those enemies, to love them. And if we allow ourselves to take those situations and develop hatred, grudges, and an attitude of getting even with that person, maybe going behind their back and calling them names, may I say, if that's our attitude, are we really going to let them send us to hell? Because if we don't follow Jesus' teaching on that, and although it's hard, we ought not to expect to make it to heaven. And looking at this, these examples of Jesus, keeping that in mind throughout the entirety of the, and the entirety of the crucifixion, he then teaches us great examples even during the most dire needs of his final moments in his life, doesn't he? So, with those things in mind, we'll then come to the conclusion of our lesson tonight. Tonight we have looked at these remarkable truths from the crucifixion and what they can do for us. These 20 centuries, this side of it. And as we then are, ex are encouraged to examine ourselves, whether we be in the, fa be in the faith and appreciate that greatest love that was extended to us from the Son. In future upcoming lessons, if it be the will of God, we're going to look at the physical aspects of the scourging and the road to Calvary and his position on the cross. But before we do that, next month we'll look at another description that Jesus and Pilate had about a kingdom not of this world and how you and I can live in that kingdom today and be, the, be what God would have us to be, living in that kingdom, following in his word in every way and in every situation of life and letting the New Testament authority be our guide. Tonight, if you're not saved, you fall into one of two major categories. One, you're an alien sinner and have never obeyed the gospel. If that be the need of your life tonight, we, you have to hear the word, Romans 10, 17. You have to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Mark 16, 15. You have to repent of those sins in your life, Luke 13, 3. You have to confess his wonderful name as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9, and be scripturally baptized for the remission of your sins. Once you do that, he'll forgive those sins. You'll then be buried with him in death, and he'll add you to the church. He's promised it, and if you live faithful unto death, heaven will be your home. But if you have done that in your life at one time, and upon examination of your life, you're not saved at this moment. Maybe you have, you have allowed your enemies to overtake you. Maybe you're guilty of other sins that are known publicly. Just as Paul did for Acts, and, or Paul did for Simon, he had sinned and he prayed for him for forgiveness 
And we can do that for you tonight if that be the need of your life. If these two things be the need of your life, we ask that you come down this aisle together even now while together we stand and while we sing.